And I'll invite everyone else now to open their Bible to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you, you'll find this on page 773 of what we'll read today, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses uh, on page 773. We'll pick it up in verse 10 today. I saw a, a tweet earlier this week, and I think I've heard you know something along these lines before, but it was just a funny reminder for me of when you're in your 20s, you still care what everyone thinks about you. When you hit your 40s, you stop caring what people think about you. And when you hit your 60s, you realize no one ever cared what you had to think in the first place. <laughs> and I laughed at that, and I thought, I do think I'm kind of in that. I don't care as much what people think. But am I really still 20 years away from realizing that no one cares what I have to think? That's a, that sounds depressing. Maybe I can accelerate that a little bit faster and come to that conclusion now and say, uh, my hope and our hope regularly is to say what the scripture says, that what it says is what matters most and what we all need to think about. And as a church family, we're going through stories that Jesus told called parables. And we had just considered a bunch of them from the 13th chapter where Jesus told a lot of them in a short period of time. And now we're a few chapters later and we're gonna come to the next parable that Jesus tells in this gospel. And we're back in the same town that we were in chapter 13, but he's been traveling quite a bit since uh, the things that we considered before. And he has gone uh, in sharing the message in his own hometown in Nazareth. Uh, people there were like, aren't you Joseph's son? And how could this person possibly be the Messiah or the new king and really know the truth about a new kingdom? And he was rejected in his own hometown. Uh, he miraculously feeds 5,000 people, and then he goes on from there into Gentile territory. The region of Tyre and Sidon feeds 4,000 Gentiles to show that his love, which is God's love for the world, is for Jews and Gentiles. And then he goes way up north into a town called Caesarea Philippi, and a place that ordinary Jews would never go. It's the, it's the red light district of ancient Israel. And so just even to go up there would bring a suspicion about why you would consider going to that part of town. But it's actually way up there where many other gods are worshipped that he asked the disciples, okay, so who do people say that I am? You've heard all these stories. You've seen all kinds of things in different areas. Who do people say that I am? And they have a discussion among themselves, but then Jesus directs it and says, well, who do you say that I am? And it's there in that town that Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, yeah, you're getting it. As you're hearing these stories about the king and the kingdom and what it's like, if you're starting to come to the conclusion that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, I'm the king of this kingdom that I've been telling you about, you're, you're starting to get it, you're understanding. And eventually they come back down to Capernaum and we pick it back up in chapter 18. And the, the question that opens the chapter is from one of the disciples. And it, the question is, so who's the greatest in this kingdom? You've been telling us a lot about it. We're, we're recognizing what you're trying to do increasingly. But this is a different kind of king and a different kind of kingdom than we've ever been exposed to before. So 
who's the greatest in this kingdom? And Jesus, as a wise teacher, uh, tells a story, and we'll pick it up in verse 10 of Matthew 18. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them is gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And that's where we'll conclude our reading today. So the, the question that initially came from the disciples was, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus dramatically responds to that question by having a little child come up and forward. And he says, if you want to see greatness in the kingdom, it's like this little child. And he points their attention to who they would consider in their midst the weakest. The one with the least amount of authority and capacity, political rights, education. And he invites a little child to come and says, whoever would want to be the greatest in the kingdom must become like this little child. And he then adds to it, and whoever receives a little child like this in my name uh, is, is great in the kingdom. And then he tells the story which gets them to consider the truth of what he was doing by having a young child in front of all of them to see. He says, when you're thinking about who's the greatest, I want you to think about where do you see the greatest need? When you're thinking about who's the greatest, I want to flip that on you and say, to get to the heart of that, I want you to consider where do you see the greatest need? And in this simple story that he tells, imagine being a shepherd and having a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray. And though most of them would not have by a profession been shepherds, it was still in the first century sort of looked down upon. There were shepherds, there needed to be shepherds, but if you were one, you, you yourself weren't very highly regarded in society. But still, he, he paints this picture of a pastoral scene and says, imagine a shepherd with a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray. Wouldn't that shepherd leave the ninety and nine and go and pursue the one? And what he's getting them to think about in that story is where is the greatest need? It's not in the ninety-nine. And he's not getting them to think about what is the greatest number. And so say, well, I mean, if you're a shepherd and you got 99 out of 100, you're doing pretty good. I mean, I would have been thrilled with 99s in most of my school assignments as I was given them. But he's not trying to get them to think about quantity of number. He's asking them to consider in this story, where is the greatest need? Well, the answer is obvious. The greatest need is this lost sheep that's 
now out on the hills with no guard or protection and no companionship of other sheep. So he's saying, if you're hearing this right and you're really coming to know who I am and what it means for me to be the king and what this kingdom is all about, instead of thinking in terms of how significant you might be able to become or who the big shots are going to be in this kingdom, you need to realize that that's not even, that's not the question you should be wrestling with. The question to consider if you're interpreting the stories correctly along the way is where do we see the greatest need? Which is they're hearing this as a story, this child is still in front of Jesus. And he has said some pretty amazing things about this child. So I don't actually want to I don't want you to take my word for it. If you still have your Bible open, we'll read from verse 1 until we get to the story that we've considered together. So Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptations come. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that no one despise one of these little ones. And then he goes on to tell that story. These are really strong words on the part of Christ. He's saying that this king and kingdom that he's announcing cares about where there is greatest need, cares about those who are the most vulnerable, and cares about it so much that he gives a stern warning to those who would ever take advantage of or abuse children. So he's, he's turning everything upside down on them. You're asking about the greatest, and I'm going to show you who's the weakest. And then I'm going to tell you that some of you who feel like you're the strongest right now are the most at risk. Some of you are so strong and so powerful, you're getting away with doing horrible things. And I am telling you that there will be hell to pay you might feel strong now you might look strong now you might be getting away with it now but the heart of the maker of the universe and all of the people on this planet is drawn in a unique way to those who are most vulnerable those who cannot act on behalf of themselves And he's saying, if you're going to understand me and my kingdom and what I'm about, you're going to consider who has the greatest need. I was telling this to uh, Brad this past week. When we decided to do a series on the parables, if you would have asked me just two months ago, in doing a series through the parables of Jesus, 
are you likely going to regularly talk about Judgment Day and the eternal consequences of our choices? If you would have asked me two months ago, I would have said, I don't think so. Like, I think you talk about a lost sheep and you talk about four types of soil and you talk about, I was like thinking of, but so many of them up to this point have, yes, talked about sheep and uh, the, the size of a mustard seed and all those things, but Jesus regularly brings his stories to this dramatic reality that there are consequences for our choices and that those who are listening to him and think, I can just ignore what you're saying and it doesn't really matter if I take advantage of other people and it doesn't matter if I just brush them to the side or I put stumbling blocks in front of them and I manipulate them. He's saying, no, 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 it matters. There is going to be a judgment day. It is so real, it would be better for you now to do something dramatic so as to not face that reality before a holy God one day. It'd be better for you to enter eternal life lame or crippled than with all your sense of strength and power but used for all the wrong reasons and used to manipulate children to then face the very serious reality of standing before a holy God on judgment day. And so he wants everyone who's listening to him to seriously consider that. Uh, this past week, uh, on Tuesday night, I watched a film that was the most, it's the most intense film I've ever watched. Uh, so I don't even know how to describe it uh, to most of you. It's one of those I can't quite recommend it because of how intense it was. It was called Free Burma Rangers. I don't know if you've ever heard about this group before, uh, but it was a young man who grew up in a missionary family in Thailand and eventually, when he became an adult, joined the U.S. military and served in special forces, became a ranger, and uh, was now stateside. And someone came to his father and said, we would love, is there any way, we've heard your son's a soldier, is there any way he could help us? And these were people whose country was going through a civil war, and what they wanted help doing was simply providing basic medical care to their wounded in this civil war. So, but it's dangerous. Like, we need someone who can just help us get there, help us get to these people, and then get them out of these situations. And so this young man at the time was uh, in a serious relationship with a girl, and he said, will you marry me? And in marrying me, will you move back to East Asia with me? And she had to consider that all at once. And they went, and he traveled and did this first reconnaissance mission, and then now for 20-some years, they've done it together as a family. And their primary goal is to train up local people to provide basic medical care and teaching them how to video and document and journal what's going on so that the outside world could know about the atrocities that were happening. The, the civil war is still going on and apparently it is the longest running civil war on the planet right now in Burma. We're watching this film in Akron, Ohio in Cuyahoga Falls. And when we walked into the theater, it was still pretty dark, so you couldn't quite see everyone who was there. But I could see that this is uh, a multi-ethnic gathering of people watching this movie. Well, as we start watching the film, and the local Burmese are talking on the screen, the people behind us are either laughing or responding to what's being said before the translation came through. And so then we realized, we're watching this film about this civil war with people who have likely fled from this 
region. And that's why they've resettled in Akron, Ohio. What makes the film so intense is that eventually this husband and wife team, they have three kids, and so their kids are with them the whole time. And so they're doing homeschooling in the midst of these uh, crazy environments. But then, because their primary goal is to be on the front lines and rescue people who are simply trying to flee, they're often rescuing parents with young children or elderly who cannot just in their own strength get out. And so it's an hour and 45 minutes of all the footage that you're not allowed to show, like on the nightly news, without a ton of warnings that just say, viewer discretion advised, make sure you know, little ones aren't watching it. And it never lets up for an hour and 45 minutes. And I realized that component of the fact that I've seen war movies before and gory war movies before, but this isn't soldier to soldier. This is innocent, young, trying to flee and get away, caught up in these environments. So Lifeway actually produced this documentary. It'll come out on DVD soon. And if what I've just described is something that you're willing to see, you do it at your own risk, and if you just want to read about it, you can read about it. But as they trained local people, eventually then what they did was a group of them now so well trained in how to do this were invited to Iraq a few years ago and specifically to the city of Mosul, which is biblical Nineveh, to help people that were simply trying to flee ISIS. And again, when they show the footage uh, of the work that they were doing, I mean, you're just immediately broken by how much adults are making decisions and doing things against one another that then leaves the, the most vulnerable the most at risk. And it, it's an intense and heartbreaking and also hopeful mission uh, as they do these things and they can't save everyone and all along the way they have to make these calculations about how much risk to put themselves at with, uh, to put themselves in, lest they are unable to save anyone. But you can't, even if you're not a Christian, you couldn't watch the film without being drawn in the sense of where is the greatest need? <laughs> and how do we get whatever resources we have to the greatest need to those who are the most vulnerable? And Jesus is telling this story about a lost sheep to a gathered audience that for so many of them, kids just aren't that significant. If you don't have your own capacity and power, you're not a landowner and you're not, you can just be brushed to the side. And oftentimes in the brokenness of our world, when things really go bad, uh, it often goes worse for those who are strangers and foreigners or widows or orphans. And Jesus gets that as he's telling the story. And so as they're hearing about the kingdom and that he is the Christ, he wants them to think about not who of them could become the greatest, but where with eyes wide open do they see the greatest need because it's there that you'll find the greater joy. When we consider the question of where do we see the greatest need, it is there when rescue happens and restoration happens that we experience the greatest joy. And that's what he says. This shepherd who loses one says, goes out to rescue. And in rescuing, in finding, says, if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the other 99 that went astray. And that's true. That's part of all the emotion of watching uh, the film on Tuesday. It was this 
when someone was rescued and you saw it in all of the difficulty, you're drawn into it. Say, I want to, that's the type of work I want to be involved in. There is greater joy found when we give ourselves to step into the places of greatest need. It is hard and it is difficult. But if we can say no to selfishness and no to doing whatever we can to protect our own selves and pursue those who are in greatest need, there is no greater joy than being used by God to protect and save and rescue those who are vulnerable. And so while it's a serious matter, Jesus is calling them to a life of joy. That they'll know why they're here. They'll know what they're about. They'll be excited about the opportunity to face a new day and to enter into the type of joy that he himself has and that he himself was living his life by. And so that's the challenge at the end is that everyone is listening to this story. Are we willing to identify the great need to pursue this greater joy? Because the very person who is telling this story is then the one who, as Matthew's gospel unfolds, shows the depth of his love. And so first we see where is the greatest need, and we know that if rescue and restoration happens, there is great joy in it, but it goes even deeper in the life of Christ that he was willing to not simply come and rescue and take away, but that he loved us so much he was willing to become a human and become vulnerable like we are, to suffer like we suffer, to die like we die, and then to rise again victorious. That's who we serve. That's who we follow. This great shepherd who was willing not simply to go after the loss, but to become one of us. And so that's the quote in the back of your handout from J.B. Phillips. Christians believe that so great is God's love and concern for humanity that he himself became a man. And when we get a, a glimpse that that is how great God's love is for us, that's an invitation to celebrate it. And so that's what we're called to do as a community of beaver. Let's celebrate how great God's love is for us and never lose track or sight of the fact that the greatness of his love is seen by his willingness to come and rescue the one that wandered, the one that was lost, the child who was the most vulnerable, who was the weakest. With many other faith traditions we can say do you believe in God yes therefore do you believe God is powerful yes do you believe he made the world and everything in it yes and many many other people can join in with us who aren't Christians but are put our other faith traditions and say yeah I believe that too and I believe that too but do you believe that God came into this world and died for all the lost and the lonely and the wandering sheep as Christians we say Yes, we can. And for many, then they can't. But that is where we see the greatness of his love, which is then becomes one of the original contributions of the Christian faith to the world. We can say, because of what we believe in Jesus, that God is love. 
we can say it because he loved us enough in spite of our weakness, in spite of our lostness, in all that we struggle with, he came to rescue and restore us. We get to celebrate that and then be drawn into all the implications of what that can mean for our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you care the most about the lost sheep, that it's not a numbers game, you're not happy with 99, that you look at who is the weakest and the left out, who's affected the most and the least likely to ever be able to act for themselves, and that you bring rescue, you bring redemption, and you bring back into the fold and fully restore those who've been lost. We thank you that you can make us whole, that you can bring us home. And as we understand you and your kingdom better, we pray that you would help us not to think about what it is we need to do to be great, that we would simply consider where the greatest needs are and what you might be calling us to do to be servants of yours to meet those needs that therefore every one of us can be involved in this great work of the kingdom give us hearts and hands that are willing and ready to do the things that you have called us to do to care for those who cannot care for themselves so that God we would be the most joyful people that we would find a deep and satisfying and eternal joy and life in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.